Thank you, Jason, and thank you, Paul Jimenez and Taylor's First Baptist for opening your place so generously to us. Thank you, Paul Miller, president of this new ministry that's organically grown out of my father's ministry, which I'm so happy about, Christian Discipleship International. And uh, thank you to John Vandenacker, who can't be here but might be watching in, who picked up when my dad couldn't do it anymore. My heart is full of thanks tonight. Let me pray with you. Father in heaven, you are a great and kind and merciful God. I love every word that we just sang in these songs. What a glorious gospel and Savior and mission we have. So come and help me. Be faithful to the gospel, faithful to the Savior, faithful to the mission, and do your work in people's lives. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I have two aims. Um, at least one is that you would be filled with a well-grounded amazement at the total sovereign authority of Jesus Christ over his world and over his mission to gather the children of God from all the peoples of the world. That's number one, that you'd be filled with a well-grounded amazement at his authority. And secondly, my goal is that many of you, I haven't yet discerned what number the Lord might be doing, but many of you would find yourself hearing God through my voice in such a way that you are moved from your home to a place of greater need for the everlasting good of lost people and for the fame of the name of Jesus. So those are my two goals. And when I say that many of you, I do mean you. I mean, I mean people in their 20s who are just finishing school and getting started in their career. I mean people in their 30s and 40s just reaching the apex, perhaps, of your energy and your effectiveness where you are. I mean people in their 50s and 60s who are well entrenched where you are and feeling very restless that there's got to be more for the next 25 years. And I do mean people in their 60s, 70s, and 80s who have been lied to by the American dream to the effect that the last chapter of your life is all about leisure. Because if that's true, God has played a dirty trick on you because he has set you up to be the freest possible person for leisure at a time in your life when you can enjoy it least. <laughs> that's not his design. That's why it's not a dirty trick. It is a dirty trick if you buy what you're being told but it's not a dirty trick if you follow him. So don't, um, 
Anybody please say in your head right now, okay, here he is trying to get people to leave their homes, go to a place of greater need, uh, and be a blessing to people who are lost for the fame of Jesus. Doesn't he know that America is going to hell in a handbasket, for goodness sakes? And doesn't he know that people in my neighborhood are lost and broken and needy? Doesn't he know that? Yes, I do know that. And if God has his hand on you to live flat out, for his glory and for the good of the people around you in an everlasting orientation, nobody's going to celebrate more than I am. So can we just be done with that dichotomy? Just be done with that? Just get that out of your head? If that's the calling on your life, I'm celebrating, God is celebrating. However, some of you are appointed to hear the voice of God through me to the effect that that restlessness you've been feeling has meaning. And God's going to speak to you what that is tonight. And it means moving and going. And all of that, all of those two goals and those qualifications, all of that under the banner of thank you, God, for Bill Piper, my dad. Thank you, God, for Christian Discipleship International. Thank you that he was faithful for 65 years with his hand on the plow and never took it off. Thank you that he was faithful to care about lost people and to be faithful to the Scriptures. And thank you that he put in my heart from the time I was little a love for God and a love for the Bible and a love for the mission of the church. And so, yes... That banner is flying over this message and giving it significance for me. Let's begin with Matthew 28. If you have a Bible, you know this by heart. If you're here, that's why you're here. Probably you know it, but if you like to look at it, then uh, turn on your phone or open your Bible, and we will read three verses. Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Oh, how quickly we ride over that. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you to the end of the age. So the courage to go and the audacity to make disciples for Jesus from people who have an allegiance to another Lord and another religion, the audacity to go to their homes and tell them to change religions, and the authority to baptize them in the name of the Trinitarian God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all of that, that courage, that audacity, that authority is based on, verse 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And that's what I want to talk about. So three questions. Number one, 
who gave Jesus this authority? Because he says, it's been given to me. Didn't he always have it? Question number two, how much authority is in the phrase, all authority in heaven and on earth? What does that mean? And third, when that confidence grips a person that Jesus, risen from the dead, reigning as the God-man in heaven today, has all authority on this planet, over every people, over every government, over every country, when that confidence grips you, what is released? What is released in you, through you? Those are my three questions. Number one, who gave him this authority? Doesn't he already have it? Matthew eleven twenty seven. all things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. John 3, verse 35. <clears throat> the Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. John 13, 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and that he had come from God and was going back to God, knelt down and washed the apostles' feet. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20. God raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and over every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. <clears throat> and John 17, 2. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. That last quote, John 17, 2, is the closest analogy to Matthew 28, 18. You have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. What a picture of absolute authority. The Father knows his sheep. The Father, therefore, has sheep that are his own. He gives the Son authority to give life. He gives his sheep to the Son. The Son gives life to the sheep. That is absolute authority over the mission of the church. The Father gave him this authority. But didn't he already have it? So in what sense did he give it to him? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. Jesus is God. And the Son of God has always been God and is co-creator with God. And through him, all things were made. He never got any authority given to him. 
that he didn't have from eternity. So what's this? All authority has been given to me. And the answer is, before the incarnation, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, has always been. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. With God and God, the mystery of the Trinity. At the incarnation, something inconceivably glorious happened that will never unhappen. The second person of the Trinity was united with, was clothed with humanity. And a, a God-man came into being that had never existed before, Jesus Christ. And that God-man accomplished something that had to be accomplished for God to rule the world the way he intended to rule it. And what he had to accomplish was a, a sinless life, an atoning death, a massive sin-destroying resurrection from the dead, and an ascension to the right hand. And at that point, that God-man was given authority over the nations. The Son of God always had it. The God-man received it when he was exalted and enthroned and installed at the right hand of God as the Lord of the universe. Today, take a deep breath, a man rules the universe. Jesus of Nazareth, son of Mary, son of God. He ate fish. He was touchable. And he runs the universe. End of question number one. Question number two. How much authority then is in the phrase, all authority in heaven and on earth was given to him? How much is that? First thing to say is that this authority is not an authorization to potentially rule, but not rule. This is not um, a right that Jesus enjoys and doesn't use. This is an authorized rule over the world. When he is given authority to rule, he rules. doesn't just watch. He hasn't been installed as king to fold his hands and let other people be kings instead of him. He is king of kings. So that's the first qualification to make that. To use the word authority as though he had a right that he doesn't use with a, a major restriction upon what's meant by he has all authority. And a second thing to say is that Wherever you find in the Bible the Father or God having a right to do a thing, having authority to do a thing, the Son has the same right. Because we saw in John 3.35, the Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. 
So wherever you find statements that I'm going to start looking at, God or the Father or the Lord has this authority or that sovereignty, Jesus has a right to that because the Father has given all authority to the Son that he has. So how extensive then is that gift to the God-man, Jesus Christ, who rules today at the Father's right hand? Um, here are 10 quick glimpses. <laughs> God, be quick. 10 glimpses of how authoritative the risen Christ is. All of these are designed to cause you to be filled with amazement at the total authority of Jesus Christ. Because I'm convinced that when people get a handle on the absolute total authority of Jesus Christ over his world and over his mission, they are released to be the most radical, dangerous, wonderful, loving, sacrificial, soul-winning, mission-advancing, justice-upholding people in the world. And that's the only kind of people I want to produce. Not interested in just helping you be blah. You can do that on your own. <laughs> Number one, we see the extent of this authorized rule in that he's the creator of the universe. You have a lot of power and authority if you make something. Has not the potter right over the clay? The Bible says, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Christ is creator of everything that exists, as far as the Hubble telescope can see. Number two, and beyond. Number two, we see his authorized rule and its extent in the sustaining of the world. He didn't just create it, he holds it in being. The Bible is trying to up the ante, lest you think of a kind of watchmaker God who creates the world, takes a vacation, watches it from a distance, doing its own thing. Deism. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power, Hebrews 1.3. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together, Colossians 1.17. The electrons whirling around all the nuclei in every galaxy in the universe those electrons are kept at their speed and kept on their path by the will of Jesus of Nazareth. And if he changed his mind, everything would go out of existence. And he is not taxed by this job at all. He's quite restful. Number three, we see the extent of his authorized rule in sustaining the world of nature and governing, not just holding in being, but now governing the activities of the natural world. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny 
And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father, Jesus said, Matthew 10, 29. So the smallest bird reaching the end of its days on a branch in the Amazon jungle and toppling to the ground did that because God said so. It was time for that bird to be done. The reason Jesus talked like that is to, to, to reach and grope for the smallest thing he could think of, the most insignificant thing. I mean, what is more significant than a bird falling out of a tree in a forest that nobody knows about? None of them falls apart from your father. His attempt is to say God rules everything, everywhere in nature. Who then is this? The disciples cried in the boat. Who then is this? He commands the winds and the water, and they obey him. The wind and the water in the intervening 2,000 years have not gotten a mind of their own. They still obey. Tsunamis and South Carolina flooding notwithstanding. There should be a lot of worship going on in South Carolina at the power of God. <laughs> I love every one of those songs, and one of them says, His mercy like a flood rains. I had a guy come up to me one time and say, That's a stupid line. Floods don't rain. I said, you ever seen a flood? You even watched the videos in 2005 in India? Floods take trucks weighing 80 tons and put them on top of buildings. That's what floods do. Because <laughs> floods don't rain. You've never seen a flood. I mean, just do the math. How many pounds does a square, a cubic foot of water weigh? Okay? Now make it a cubic yard. How many hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pounds does a cubic yard of water weigh? Then multiply that by billions and billions of cubic yards of water and put that on the move at about 50 miles an hour. You'll see something rain. And it obeys God. Jesus said, peace, be still, and he can do it any time he please. Today, just like he did back then. Number four, we see the extent of his authorized rule in his sovereign rule and authority over Satan. Oh, the encouragement for missionaries. Indeed, for anybody who's feeling demonically attacked and beat up. Mark 127, what is this, the crowds say? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. Satan cannot touch you apart from the permission of Almighty God. Everything Satan did to Job, he had to knock on the door of heaven you seen Job? Yes, I've seen Job. 
Well, let me have him. You can have him this far. That's the only way Satan can do anything in this world. By God's permission. He was in charge of Satan. He is in charge of Satan. Satan's not anywhere but on a leash, in a very long leash and a very controlled leash. In fact, when you get to the end of the book of Job, and you remember what Satan did. He released out, he went and it says he afflicted Job with sores from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. And at the end of the book, you read this from the inspired writer, they comforted him, his family comforted Job for all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. That's not Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar talking with their rotten theology. That's the inspired writer interpreting this book. God let Satan hammer Job, and he knew exactly how far he would take him and no farther. They will make war on the Lamb. And the Lamb will conquer them, for he is Lord of lords and King of kings. And those who are with him are called chosen and faithful, which leads us to the fifth point. We see the extent of Jesus' authority in his rule over the affairs of history, all of history. That's why John quotes that in Revelation 17, 9. This means... Since he's king of kings and lord of lords, no president, no chief, no sheik, no premier, no prime minister, no governor, no mayor, no congressman ever takes office, but that God puts him there. Listen to Daniel chapter 2. He removes kings, and he sets up kings. The most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he will. He does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. None can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? And once they're in in office, by his decree, good or evil, he governs what they do. Proverbs 21.1, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wills. God is sovereign. Jesus is authoritative over history and every part of it. Number six, the extent of his authorized rule is seen in his authority over disease. Remember what Moses did. Jesus, I mean, God comes to Moses and says, I want you to go down there and you speak and tell them to let my people go. And Moses objects, objects, objects. And his last objection is, I am slow of speech. I can't do it. To which God gives this amazing response. Exodus 4.11. Who made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Jesus went everywhere 
healing those who were oppressed by the devil. Acts 10, 38. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And he hasn't lost any of that power today. None. Jesus heals whom he will heal and doesn't whom he doesn't. On Saturday, I went to visit a young woman, an Iranian, Iranian, she says, has had cancer for four years. Her last, she may be watching this, and that's good. Her last um, blood, um, what's the word? Replacement, you know what I'm trying to say, has been rejected. So I walk into the room and she's covered with sores, big red welts all over her body. And I said to her, you look just like Job. And after we talked a few minutes, I said, I'm going to speak at a church in South Carolina on Thursday night. Do you have a word for them? So at this moment in the service, this might be exactly for you from her, okay? She said, I've been reading Psalm 34, and this is what meant most to me and maybe would mean most to them. Those who look to the Lord will be radiant and their faces will never be ashamed. Verse 5. I said, I'll tell them. She was. You, could, you probably could poke around and find her on Facebook. She said, look, get, take a picture with you. So we took a picture, and there she is, she's covered with sores, and John Piper, wherever I am, and, and she's radiant. That's God. Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. It's his wife talking. And Job sweetly, <laughs> I think, said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women speaks, as... <laughs> I think he's cutting her a lot of slack. That's sweet. You speak as. You're not one of them. But you, you speak as one of the foolish women speak. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? And then the writer comments, in all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Indeed, he didn't. He was worshiping. Number seven, we see the extent of the authority and rule of Jesus over the sinful acts of men. This may be the most important thing I say in this regard, over the sinful acts of human beings. Human beings cannot escape the sovereignty of God by darting down the alley of sin won't work. 
right at the center of the Christian gospel. And you know what the gospel is, 1 Corinthians 15, 3. The gospel is the message that I received, how Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. What what does according to the Scriptures mean? It means all the events of the gospel were scripted in the Psalms, in Isaiah, in Deuteronomy. Scripted, including all the horrors and all the sins. And here are the key verses. These these are two of the most important verses in the Bible, I think, for missionaries to reckon with. Because you go, you, go up, you, you go up against Satan in one of his strongholds around the world. And something like what happened to Jesus on Good Friday will come against you. This is the disciples in Acts 4, verses 27 and 28, praying to God, ascribing such authority to God that is breathtaking. Truly in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you appointed, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. So Herod's mockery, Pilate's expediency, the cry from the Jewish crowds, crucify him, crucify him, and the soldiers weaving him a crown of thorns and spitting and beating and mockery, all of that planned and predestined by God for his son. So here's my question for you. Do you have a category in your mind for God's ability to bring sin to pass without sinning? Give a category like that. Can God will that sin happen without being a sinner? If you don't have that category, what becomes of the gospel for you? The gospel is the plan of God that the Son of God be murdered in your place. And the murder of the Son of God is the greatest sin that has ever been committed. If you say... God cannot plan, God cannot foreordain, God cannot predestinate, God cannot oversee and manage the sinful murder of his son. You have no gospel. It was all just accidental. It all just snuck up on God, which is not what according to the Scriptures means in 1 Corinthians 15, 3. But if you have that category, then you have a confidence that no evil, no evil ever coming against you is outside God's glorious, merciful, caring control in your life as his child. 
Nothing can rob you of your confidence in him. Nothing, nothing sneaks up on him. Number eight, the extent of the authority of Jesus is seen in his sovereignty over the conversion of the people you're going to win. Do you remember the rich young ruler? He came to Jesus. Jesus said, sell everything you have, give it to the poor, follow me. And he turned away because he loved his money more than he loved Jesus. And Jesus said, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And just like you, probably, they were astonished. Like, what? Camel can't get through the eye of a needle, and lots of people are rich. And they were astonished, it says, and said to him, then who can be saved? And Jesus didn't say, oh, you misunderstood me. I didn't mean to say it was impossible. That's not what he said. He said, Jesus looked at them and said, with man, it is impossible. But not with God. All things are possible with God. You can't make yourself or anybody else stop loving money. You cannot. You can't raise yourself from the dead. You can't take away the leper's spots. You can't take out the heart of flesh and heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh. You can't cause yourself to be born again. These are miracles of God that have to be wrought upon us. And so what is impossible with men is possible with God, for all things are possible with God. I was at, I was at Urbana, 1967. College student wondering what God wanted me to do with my life. It was a big debate about sovereignty of God in missions. And, and I remember one of the veteran conservative Baptist mission veterans stood up and the student asked him, why should we go to the fields if there's a sovereign God? And he said, 20 years ago, I went to Pakistan thinking that if God were sovereign, I would never go. And today, I would only go if God were sovereign, meaning I can't save any Muslim. I can't make any Muslim see Christ. Only God can open the eyes of people, which is our only hope in missions and evangelism. Number nine, Jesus' authority extends in his triumph over death. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. As it is written, we are being killed all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that death cannot separate us from the love of God. So when Jesus died and rose again, he broke the back of the power of death. And he is absolutely authoritative over death. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. And thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Therefore, 
All you people who are wondering whether you should leave your job and do something else, therefore be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord because in the Lord your labor is never in vain. When death is conquered, to be sold out for Jesus wherever he calls can never be in vain. Number 10, therefore he is sovereign and authoritative in his mission. The gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. Matthew 24, 14. This gospel will be preached. Nothing's going to stop Jesus from getting the gospel to the nations. Nothing. It cannot be done because he's that authoritative. Or Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Nothing can stop me. Nothing can stop me from building my church church. Or John 10, 16, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice. There will be one flock and one shepherd. So this mission cannot fail. Cannot fail. That's how much authority he has. The risen, reigning King Jesus, Lord of Lords, King of Kings, reigns over the world, over his mission, over history, over everything in it, and nothing can stop him from finishing his mission. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, my counsel will stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. Nobody can thwart the hand of the sovereign will of the risen Christ. Last question. What does this confidence unleash in the lives of you who really believe it? Not just theoretically say, whoa, that's interesting or something, but totally are gripped by the sovereignty of Jesus over the world. What, what, what's released in you? Three things, more than three, will hold the three. One, it unleashes a torrent of hope-filled, confident praying for God to do what only God can do. Pray. It baffles me that some people say, if God is sovereign, if Jesus has that much authority, why pray? Why else would you pray? I mean, come on. When you pray for the people you love most to be saved, how do you pray? Let's be honest, all right? I mean, I, I would love to hear how you pray. How do you pray? Do you ask God to make ineffectual suggestions to them? How's that praying for their salvation? No, you don't. We say, John Piper says, every day for people I love. Oh God, save them. Romans 10.1, my heart's desire and prayer to God is that they might be saved. 
Take out the heart of stone, O God. Put in the heart of flesh. Cause them to be born again, just like it says in 1 Peter 1.3. Raise them from spiritual death, like it says in Ephesians 2.5. Incline their heart to Jesus. Open their blind eyes. Take away the veil. Give them faith. Overcome their resistance. Overcome it. That's what you pray if you love them. That you can't pray that way if you don't believe Jesus has the right to do that. Which he does. All authority is, is, is Christ's. And so when we lay hold on him for Iran or, or for Saudi Arabia or for Indonesia or for China or for Cuba or for anybody, we're laying hold on a God who has total rights to save people or our kids. We pray because God is sovereign, not in spite of it. Second thing that's un, unleashed, and that is aggressive, bold, joyful evangelism. For the hardest people of the world, nothing is too hard for God. We already read. I, here's when, when Christ called the Apostle Paul on the Damascus Road, According to Acts 26, there's three accounts of this, right? Three. Um, in the third one, we read this wording of the commission. And I, I give it to you as his commission to you. I don't think it's limited to the apostle Paul. But in essence, what it says is, I'm sending you human, fallible, finite Paul to do what only I can do. Listen. This is Acts 27, 26, 17. I am sending you, this is Jesus, risen Christ, talking to the Apostle Paul. I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. God sends me tonight to do what only he can do. Surgeons do surgery, not scalpels, but surgeons don't do surgery without scalpels. Apollos planted, I watered, God gave the growth. So he who plants and he who waters is nothing but only God who gives the growth. God will not reach this world without you, that is, without humans. If you bail out, he'll pass you by, give the privilege to another. He means to use human agents in the performing of the miracle of evangelism and conversion. Nobody gets saved without the gospel through a human agent. We are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us, omnipotent, life-creating God. Finally, I close with this, number three, and where we started. The third thing that's released, if you are gripped by the authority of Jesus, is that hundred of you, perhaps, will be emboldened for the everlasting good of lost people and for the fame of the name of Jesus to uproot 
leave your home, go to a place of greater need, and live for his fame. I'm going to pray for you to that end. And very seriously, I ask you to pray for me. I said people in their 70s and 80s, I turned 70 in three months. I was thinking of me, all right? I don't know how many years I have left, or days, or hours, or minutes. You don't, you don't plan as though you have nothing. You plan as though God will give you something, and then you go for it. And uh, I'm as free as a bird. Man, I, I re- Uncle Sam's going to pay my bills starting next January. <laughs> he better than <laughs> giving that man. You see what I'm talking about? You are not given your 60s and 70s and 80s to be tricked by the world. You're given them and your teens and your 20s and 30s and 40s and 50s to not waste your life. You can't lose. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I bow before you and acknowledge that you are Supreme, Jesus, you are absolutely authoritative over this meeting right now and over this city, over this church, over our lives, whether we breathe our last before we're done here tonight, you are in charge. And we, therefore, are the most secure and the freest and the boldest and the happiest people on the planet. So come and do your loosening and transplanting work for many, and you're establishing and empowering right here for the rest, I pray in Jesus' name.